Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now your ears do not deceive you you have just entered the cryptid creator corner brought to you by your friends at comic book yeti so without further ado let's get on to the interview this is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Getty, sitting down today with comics creator Steve Fox. Steve has already been a guest on the show and apparently liked us enough to want more. So today we're going to talk about his relaunch of Valiant's Archer and Armstrong title. Thanks for joining me today again, Steve. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed the Archer and Armstrong book. You know, back in the day, Barry Windsor Smith's run. You know, they've been relaunching a time or two, I think, since then. Acclaim bought Valiant in the late 90s. Again in 2012, although I must admit I haven't read those incarnations. But you know, what what drew you in in wanting to to reboot the duo? Well, when Rob Levin and I, uh, Rob's the head editor at Valiant now. Um, when we started talking about Valiant properties, we both zeroed in on Archer and Armstrong pretty quickly uh, because they hadn't had a presence on shelves for a little while um, since A and A ended, and also you know. <sighs> As much as I've always considered myself like a horror creator first, I, I've ended up doing a lot of comedy work. Uh, and I do a lot of stuff for kids and I, I do stuff like Spider-Ham at Scholastic and then X-Men 92 is a little tongue in cheek. So Archer and Armstrong felt like a place where I could stretch numerous wings, um, where I could do some of the comedy stuff that I've, I've been getting a chance to explore. I could also do something a little bit more in the mainstream action adventure realm. Uh, and even bring in a little bit of horror um, with some of the new villains. So it just felt like a place where I could really cook up something special and, and put my own stamp on the characters. Yeah, I want to get into the the villain later because that one really <laughs> really stood out to me. So so what's happening with the story this time around? So uh, you know we worked really hard to make this book a fresh start if you'd never read the characters before, but also to feel like the next adventure if you had. So. You know, if you read the Fred Van Linty run with Clay and Henry and the other artists, if you read the Ray for Roberts, David LaFuente run, you can go right into this and it shouldn't feel like anything's been rebooted or, or canceled out. But if you've never read a Valiant comic before, you should be able to understand who the guys are, more or less. You know, obviously they have a complicated history, but we tried to give you everything we could in the first issue. And as part of that, um, so, you know, the dynamic these two have is that Archer was raised in a religious cult to be an assassin. Uh, to take out Armstrong, who is one of three immortal brothers. And of course, there's more to that story that you, you, know, you can read if you care to, but that's kind of the, the basic point of it. We open up with Armstrong's immortality seemingly running out. Um, and so this has always been an unquestioned fact of the character that he and his two brothers are immortal um, because of the boon in, back in ancient, ancient times. But throughout the run, numerous times Armstrong has made it clear that there is a 
a store of infinite life in him or near infinite life, but, but not necessarily unending. You know, he got powered by stolen life forces and that's all in the book already. So we pick it up where it looks like they're running out. So suddenly this character who has taken immortality for granted might not be able to take it for granted anymore, but even more so the character who's come to count on him, Archer, who has had so many of his support networks ripped away in his life, he has seen Armstrong as like the one definite in his life ever since he left the cult. Like Armstrong's been his best friend, his drunken mentor. And now this guy that he thought was going to outlive him no matter what could potentially die at any moment. So it, it kind of puts their bond under a, a bit of strain without changing anything too fundamental about the characters. Yeah, I was going to ask, so are there a significant number of like legacy elements that, to be aware of? To, that... I mean, I honestly don't think you need to know anything more than what I just said. Like, yes, I would encourage people who like what Marcio and Alex and Haas and I are doing to go check out the last couple runs. But all you need to know is big, fun, drunk, immortal, young, slightly uptight, but very um, good hearted uh, assassin, <laughs> you know, trained assassin, uh, and now the immortality's up. And that's all you really need to know to understand what's going on. Well, buddy duos are that part and parcel of the comics medium in general. You know, what makes this different? I think there's such a classic uh, odd couple dynamic going on here because, you know, like I just said, you know, Armstrong is very worldly. He's very experienced. He's lived through all these significant uh, historical moments. He's seen it all. Archer, for the first 18 years of his life, was extremely cloistered and also extremely powerful. Um, so now he's going to experience the world, but he's experiencing it with such fresh, kind of borderline naive eyes. So putting those two together, but not having them butt heads, because that's not really the dynamic. Like they're not an odd, odd couple in the fact that they're forced together. They've already gone through that. You know, they've had their moments of like, I don't think I can trust you. I don't like you. And they've moved past it. So now we're in a friendship that's very genuine, that's very caring, but is also two very different people. And without insulting Archer, there's also kind of the dynamic that Armstrong has that is almost like, mortal friends are similar to pets to him not because he looks down on humans but he knows he's going to outlive everybody so just in the way that you or i might adopt an animal and and give them our entire heart and life there's also part of it where it's like okay but i understand i'm going to outlive you by quite a bit and that's how armstrong has to approach human friends and there's a moment in the fred van linty run where armstrong envisions archer as a skeleton because that mortality is something he's always had to accept about other people. So when you flip that and suddenly Armstrong has to think about his own mortality and Archer has to think about Armstrong's mortality, I think you shake up the dynamic in ways that are really fun to write and explore. When you're, you're fleshing out the two characters, um, was there a person or another character that you had in mind when you're kind of doing this? Any other famous duo perhaps? You know, not so much because I really immersed myself in preceding Archer and Armstrong comics, but I will say to me, Armstrong is kind of cut from the same cloth as like early 90s Beast, which is that this is someone who knows how to have fun and be impish, but is also very knowledgeable. And Beast is more of the college professor type than like Beast is the 
the physics professor who will have drinks with with students at the bar armstrong's the literature professor who will have drinks with students back at his apartment <laughs> like okay. that's kind of the distinction between the two. nothing you know inappropriate is going to happen but armstrong's the one who's like gonna blur the boundaries and, and be a little sloppier and have more fun so that was kind of my entryway to his character archer is just like such a pure good-natured boy scout character um but no, I guess I would say I was more influenced by prior versions of them than necessarily pulling in other references. I will say, as far as my approach to the whole book, I felt very influenced by movies like Die Hard and Police Story, uh, True Lies, where the action and the adventure is at the forefront, but there's also elements of comedy that help endear you to the characters and break the tension at moments. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of modern action movies because they feel very weightless to me. Um, and they're very much like the, the quip school of, of writing where it's, you know, here's an explosion and here's an offhand comment about how dumb the explosion is. And then you don't really feel like the explosion's that cool. <laughs> but if you go back to, to 80s and 90s action movies, they have the comedy without undercutting the tension. And that's what I was hoping to do in Arch and Armstrong Forever. Yeah, so talk to me about including humor in the book. It, it, frankly, it was unexpected and kind of refreshing. So I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah, I have some of those foam ears. I don't know if you saw this, but Valiant made um, foam no. ears. Oh, yeah, that's, so that's awesome. Famously visual medium of podcasts. I'm holding up a, a foam ear that has the book's logo on it, um, yeah. which was a fun, fun promotional piece. Yeah, I mean, I think comedy has always been an aspect of Archer and Armstrong, at least in the modern day. Um, and especially the run before this, A&A, &A, uh, was really leaning on the comedic side. For whatever reason, comedy is a bit of a hard sell in mainstream American comics. Um, readers just don't tend to gravitate towards books that put comedy at the forefront. And I also think comedy is very difficult. It's a lot about pacing and, and perspective and uh, tone. But it's fun to layer in elements of it because they are a goofy duo when you pit them against each other. They're so different from one another. And also in putting pretty horrific villains in the book, you get to kind of play both of them as a straight man against the, the horror of the villains. Um, but no, it was just a fun, fun thing to layer in. And it felt true to what we've seen from Archer and Armstrong before. And one of the nice things about Valiant being a small, well-controlled line is that you have the book that's superheroes and horror. You have the book that's superheroes and sci-fi and you have the book that's superheroes and comedy. So it, it feels like you can really zone in on, on what hybrid you're doing and, and Arch and Armstrong happen to be superheroes and comedy. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's sort of fascinating to hear the process. When I was talking to Kyle Starks recently, he was drawing that parallel between writing horror and writing comedy, which is not something I had intrinsically thought about. Yeah, I think it's, it's very similar. And it's one of the reasons it's so hard in comics is that comedy and horror both rely a lot on control of pacing. And in comics, you're giving a lot of that up to the reader. Like, yes, you can, you can plan out the page as perfectly as you, you possibly can, but I can't stop a reader from looking three panels ahead or turning the page fast or what have you versus a movie or a TV show or a play or something where the time is entirely in your hands. Well, I was reading on, on Valiant's press for the book. You said, I can't wait for the returning readers to meet all of our new faces. Some of them quite weird, to be honest. 
so this is where I want to get into the villains. Um, so without giving too much away, the Maw is quite weird. So, so can you tease a little bit about some of the antagonists that are that we're going to be seeing? Because the tongue is creepy. Thank you. Yeah. I, who doesn't love a creepy tongue in comics? Yeah. Uh, it, it worked out for, for Venom. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I knew when I started this book that I really wanted the first arc to introduce new faces, to put the spin on it so that, you know, someday three or four runs from now, it's going to be like, oh yeah, in the Steve Fox, Marcio Friorito run, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you know, one of the best ways to do that is to put the new faces in. So the two new villains we have in the opening arc are the eccentric, who is not one to get his hands dirty. Um, he's a collector. He's an old school gentleman and all the like Southern double-edged way you can use that term. But then his attack dog is the Maw, um, who is very influenced by sort of like Clive Barker and like nastier side of, of splatter punk horror and just that darker edge that we haven't seen a ton of in Archer and Armstrong. Um, you know, the Valiant horror realm is usually around Shadow Man and Punk Mambo and, and these other characters. So I just thought like the, the best way to highlight the comedy of, of Archer and Armstrong and to put them out of their element was to put them up against someone really gross. And the Maw only gets grosser as the run goes on. Okay. Well, I think I was reading that the Maw was an EXO villain maybe first. Oh, no. The Maw's all brand new. All, all original? Okay, yeah. okay. So how much crossover can we, can we expect with Archer and Armstrong and some of the other Valiant titles? So the first arc is really going to be just us, Archer and Armstrong. Um, okay. Because, you know, I want to keep the focus on the boys, keep the focus on new characters. Uh, there's a new character you're going to meet in issue three as well. The second arc is where we're getting to explore some of the more um, established supporting characters in Archer and Armstrong's lives. So think uh, girlfriends or stepsisters or brothers, who knows who might show up. Um, but we're also gonna do a little bit of crossover with other characters from the Valiant universe. I think one of the fun things about playing in a shared sandbox is getting to play with those toys. So as the second arc goes on, you're going to get to see some more of those toys coming into play once we've spent enough time with Archer and Armstrong to keep them the focus of the series. Okay. Well, I want to highlight your team. You've talked about Marcio already, who's handling the artwork. He's previously worked on a few Dynamite titles. Um, can I just say that Brazilian artists are absolutely taking over the game, it seems like right now. You know, he alluded to in that same Valiant press piece, myth mythical or mythological creatures. So it seems like mm -hmm. there's a lot of visual challenges here because it's like they're going all over the world. So what are you trying to do, the guy? I mean, I'm trying to push him to his limits. <laughs> it's really, it's been so great to work with Marcio because it, it felt like when we started this book, he and I were in similar places where we've both worked on some really cool licenses. We've both done some things on the margins, but it feels like we are both coming at this book as a, you know, a debut on a bigger stage. Like this is what you can get from a Steve Fox comic book. This is what you can get from a Marcio Fiorito comic book. Um, so it's been cool to feel like we're kind of pushing each other and growing with each other. Uh, and also, you know, he's such a good balance for this book because I would say the action adventure stuff is probably closer to his comfort zone. And so getting to push on that comedy side, it keeps the book from getting unmoored or going too silly because he does have a more grounded approach to doing the, the visual comedy. And then Alex, our colorist, uh, 
I mean, just such unexpected but cool complimentary choices. Like, I wish I had a more informed vocabulary to talk about why he's good beyond saying like he's real good <laughs> but he does just bring so much mood and atmosphere and extra touches to the book and especially in the second issue like you said you know we go all over the world the second issue is, is really globe trotting and alex found ways to kind of differentiate every scene and as we go into some of the future issues like the way that he helps tell the emotional story over the course of some of these has just been fantastic to see. And then Haas, our letterer, uh, one of my best friends in comics and is truly just, in my opinion, one of the most talented letterers working today because he's so innovative and he's always trying new things. And there are things in the book that he added. That I did not script it. We didn't draw it. Like he, he added in visual gags and he added in extra comedy at the lettering stage and that's why I cling to him so much you know we did Rainbow Bridge we did Party and Pray um, we're doing another creator own thing soon so getting to have his touch at kind of like the the finish line it really puts the book over the edge for me yeah he's got this this really creative way of doing things I've never seen before um, kind of all the time there's a magical moment in there where you know Archer completes the flying scissors kick on a couple of bad guys um, and it, if you want to know, you got to read. Um, but, the, but, the, but there are these word bubbles with like a flying tooth and a broken bone. And I've never seen that. So was that your idea or just Hassan? No, it's all, it? it's all him. You know, we, we've worked together now on hundreds of pages and we know each other so well. It's, it's also, I have to give a lot of credit to Rob and Audrey, our editorial team too, because doing this book is such a group effort. Like we're all included on everything. Like letters come in and you know Alex and Marcio and we're all seeing what's coming in at every stage so we get to give feedback to each other and suggestions and and really all feel like we're contributing to the book even down to like you know picking our variant cover artists and all of that I've never gotten a chance to be this involved oh wow okay every step of a book yeah I was going to ask you so it sounds like you were very much on the the front end it wasn't Valium brought you in to write Archer and Armstrong it was like you kind of got you know yeah, big, sort of. I, I got a I got a really cool opportunity at a very lucky time, which was that Rob thought that he, you know he had read some of my work, he saw promise in it, and he wanted to know what I wanted to do, and we kind of built it out from there. So I haven't seen yet. Is it designed completely as an ongoing? Is it a limited series? So it's designed as an ongoing, okay. and you know we kind of have like a ripcord we can pull when we need to pull it, so that it's going to be a complete story. What is absolutely not going to happen is that things just fall off. Like it, whenever we find out we're ending, we have a way to end it. Okay. Um, but we have lots of stories we can tell. So it, it depends on what reader support is like and you know which way the wind blows. Um, but no, we're, we're at least going to two arcs. So, <laughs> Well, I want to hear your, your best pitch here. So in terms of like, who's going to fall in love with this series and everyone is not an acceptable answer. Yes, no, uh, nothing's for everyone. I think yeah. if you like odd couple action adventures where a buddy duo is so horrifically mixed mismatched that they're actually perfectly matched this is the book for you okay and if you want to see them go up against clive barker's worst nightmare as the cherry on top then here you go okay so in my head this is odd couple meets nightbreed hey it works for me okay okay (laughs) We'll, we'll use that we'll use that yeah so this is part of a, a big release period for Valiant. I guess they're calling the year of Valiant. So yeah. 
And it's nice to be on the ground floor of something all the time. They're doing all this crazy stuff. I've never seen collectible speakers uh, or sneakers. <laughs> They're doing NFTs, I think, right now, too, or something. Um, so what else do you have going on potentially with, with them down the road? If, I don't know if you know. If, you write, if you're going to write Turok, you'll, you'll make me a really happy person. <laughs> I think unfortunately Turok is no longer under the Valiant umbrella due to, oh. to rights issues. But um, you know, without counting any chickens before they hatch, I, I think Valiant and I get along really well. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see other things from me. There. Okay, fantastic. But also, so, folks should check out the rest of the year of Valiant: Exo Manowar, Bloodshot. They have some really cool things coming up. So it's it's never been a better time to like hop on the line because it's very self-contained and each thing is kind of a fresh start. And like I said earlier, everything's giving you kind of a different flavor sampling. You want the comedy, you want the sci-fi, you want the you know, hyper-violent action. You kind of can pick your flavor right now. Yeah, there's some fantastic stuff. I noticed that Liam Sharp was working on EXO. So yeah, I can't wait pretty to see cool. that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is me being curious now. So it seems like everybody is, is getting back into hitting cons. So do you have any specific plans where fans can get excited about Susanna? Well, I will be at FlameCon this year, um, which okay. is the, the queer focus convention in New York um, because I bought a table in um, 2020 <laughs> uh, when Cheater Code came out, which is a, a queer graphic novel I did. Um, so I've just been sitting on like 80 copies of Cheater Code ready to sell for two years. So oh, wow. Yeah, I'll be at FlameCon. I think that'll really be my only show this year. Um, I'd like to start traveling and do more conventions, but uh, for whatever reason, we just have like a massive amount of weddings to go to. <laughs> so uh, I was going to do New York Comic Con. I haven't missed one since 2008, but we have a wedding right before of a comic friend. So we're going to go to the wedding instead. <laughs> well, what's the weirdest thing anyone's ever asked you to sign at a con? Oh, um... You know, someone had, I just did a signing for a free comic book day alongside uh, Kenny Porter, who, who does a number of books at DC. And the guy had to sign his hat. And I was like, do you even know who we are? <laughs> like, why do you want this? Like, are you sure you want to walk around with us on the brim of your cap? But it's like, okay, sure. Why not? Like Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, just some random. Hat. It was some sort of sports team. I can't remember what it was. How did uh, I know then, it was a sports team? Yeah. And yeah. then, um, you know, more power to them. I'm, I'm happy to sign. Listen, anyone who listens to this, I will sign almost any object or body part. So bring it on. So I'm, I'm very curious too. I've got you on the line. Um, I saw a thing today, um, obviously not trying to stir trouble, but on Twitter um, <laughs> about editors. So I know you're an editor as well as a writer. So th this particular tweet was was like, why would anybody need an editor? We have spell checks. So I see your okay. This this will never translate on a podcast either because your eyes got like massive. So it's I mean it's just funny. Like I I try to stay away from all these discourses and it's I'm not, not trying like, to stir up trouble. Oh no, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. think you are. But and uh, it's not even a self importance thing. But if you think editors are just spell check you probably need an editor more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, because the, the fun part, what I always say, and, and so I, I edit Department of Truth with James Tynan and Martin Simmons and Aditya Bidikar. And then I, I edit a number of series for First Second, uh, a number of books there. My job as an editor, um, first off, it's not spell check because we do have spell check and, and also publishers have um, copy editors. But my job as an editor is to help 
James and Martin and Aditya tell the best version of their story. And that involves keeping people on schedule, that involves handling minutia that they shouldn't have to deal with, that involves being the person that James can talk a plot point out and say, you know, this was my intention, is this making it on the page? And to me, that is the fun part of being an editor is getting to be that first second opinion, getting to be that first beta reader and getting to help, you know, chip away the extra stone around the sculpture. Um, and also I, like, I have such great relationships with my editors. I value that input so much. And, and I do know creators who have like, they feel the editors are kind of the obstacle to get over or the, the hurdle they have to jump. And I, I always feel bad for people who end up with that perspective because to me, you know, I'm so eager for Jordan White to say like, oh, you know, this X-Men plot point doesn't make a ton of sense. How, you know, how can we make this work? Or for Rob Levin to be like, I see what you're going for, but you know, how can we push this more? Because then the, the book is better. <laughs> like yeah. I've never had an experience where an editor feels like a, a roadblock. It's always someone saying like, yeah, how can, how can I push you to get to that next step? And I want to get to that next step. Because the alternative is it coming out and a bunch of readers saying you suck. <laughs> so is it, is it easier to write or is it easier to be an editor? I mean, easier is a loaded term. Sure. But, uh, Go ahead and I edit guess, it. <laughs> it. It's easier answering only for myself here. <laughs> that's, that's it's, cool. it's easier to be an editor in the sense that the work is coming to me in a somewhat complete form. And then I get to stand back and look at it and see the whole shape of it and you know help shape it and ask questions about it constructively. As a writer, I have to make that shape in the first place. Sure. <laughs> sometimes that is a daunting task. Um, and my process has changed so much over the years and so much of it has just been about getting away from that white page on Microsoft Word um, to the point where now I actually do a lot of my writing in a notebook first. Uh, yeah. I will like panel out the entire issue or panel out the entire graphic novel in a notebook before I type a word because looking at that blinking cursor on a Word document is like such a cursed feeling at times. Yeah. Ooh, I'm glad I'm not a writer. <laughs> well, it really started with, with, when I was doing these graphic novel scripts and it's like, okay, I have a hundred pages. So then I type, 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 type. And it's like, oh, okay, well only 97 to go. <laughs> it was just too daunting of a feeling. Um, so that's why I kind of moved it to a more tactile side. So you alluded to horror and some comedy. Is this horror kind of your pocket natively or? You know, I always say it is, I guess if you were to count up my bibliography, it's not, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's kind of a, the North Pole for me. Okay. Um, that's that's what compasses point toward, right? <laughs> Magnetic North. Indeed. Close yes. enough. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and it's it's something I consider sort of my home base. So even when I do things like Archer and Armstrong Forever, I'm probably going to find a way to bring elements of that in. Uh, and I have a creator-owned horror series that'll come out next year um, that we're we're kind of deep into work on that isn't announced yet, but. I'm glad to kind of have that through line going on. I would feel a little lost if I didn't have anything horror in my life. And James and I, you know, co-created Razorblades, the horror magazine. So we got to do quite a bit of horror in those pages and the hardcover is coming out this summer and I'm sure we'll do more Razorblades down the line. So I couldn't imagine not having something horrific going on on my plate. 
Um, but I guess if you were to, you know, add it up pound by pound, I've, I've done more kids work and more comedy work at this point. Yeah. That's why I asked because it's it sort of seemed that way. So, yeah. And you know, we, Steve Orlando and I, we co-wrote party and pray and rainbow bridge and, and we did those in alternating chapters at the same time. So that kind of sums up my career better than anything was here's a chapter of a, an all ages story about losing your pet. And here's a chapter about gay sex murder <laughs> we're gonna just switch between the two fluidly yep just one day one and one day the next <laughs> well you're the consummate collaborator there you go <laughs> so remind everyone where they can find you online yeah you can find me at steve underscore fox f-o-x-e on twitter um which i really just use for self-promo and promoting friends i, I don't stay on there too often and then um, stevefox.com is my website, and I keep that very updated with, with all my projects. And Archer and Armstrong, issue one is out now, right? Yep. And yep. issue yep. two will be out, I think, the second week of June. Okay. Um, I'm terrible with dates, uh, but it's, it's coming out soon. <laughs> all dates are fluid at this moment in time. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're looking for a globetrotting buddy adventure full of humor, some unexpected Twists and Turns, Archer and Armstrong Forever is, is absolutely your book. I have, you know, the, the feeling that the unexpected is to be expected, and I'm, I'm here <laughs> for it. So, Steve, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, this is Byron O'Neill, and on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti, thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.